Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. Are you named after one of your grandparents or another family member? Have you ever had one of those conversations where they talk about what your ancestors were like and they say, you're just like him. It's skipped a generation. You've got his ability, sporting ability or personality or nose or whatever it is. There's something about looking back at our heritage, realizing that we are part of a bigger thing, but also that somebody was dreaming and planning and thinking of us. I love the stories where parents get together with their children and they say, you know, we were hoping for a child, we were, we were praying for a child, and then you came, and, and we were so happy you came. When somebody's adopted, it's even more precious because you know that they chose you. They chose you, and, and they wanted you as their child. Those are beautiful stories. And today I want to show you from the Bible a couple of stories where people saw that what they were going through was planned by God years, sometimes centuries in advance. And I want to say to you, my dear friend, that God has a plan for you. And we're going to see from the book of Acts. Now, you might say, wow, we don't need to go that far back in church history. It's irrelevant. It's 2000 years ago. We don't need to go that far back. And I want to say to you, that if you are a traditional Christian, in other words, you love the traditions and the old ways and the old hymns, that's fine, but we need to go back all the way to the beginning of the church because the Bible says that what was written is a pattern, an example for us. It's something for us to learn from and copy. And the book of Acts is so relevant You know, church history is so interesting because for the first 300 years of the church, it was amazing. The gospel was spreading. The church was growing. Miracles were happening. And then Christianity became legal and accepted by society. And suddenly the the growth of Christianity slowed right down. It was like it had been watered down. It was like a, a raging river that suddenly spread out into a big swamp and it stopped its progress because it was watered down and everybody thought they were a Christian. And then over the centuries, there've been various times when it's been revived in various ways. There's some big landmarks, the Reformation in the 1500s and um, various movements in the 1700s, 1800s, the, the missionary movements. And then at the beginning of the 1900s, the Holy Spirit was poured out again in so many places in the world, in the British Isles, in Europe, in the Far East, in Azusa Street, in America, in South America, in Kenya, in various parts of Africa. All at the same time, the Holy Spirit was poured out and the miraculous gifts came back. And suddenly, for the last hundred years, the church today is looking more like the book of Acts than it ever has. And we are looking at the book of Acts to say, these are the photos in our family album of how we started, of our family's background, of who we are. And we're going to see today that you are spoken of. You are spoken of. You were thought of by God. Psalm 139 says that God wrote in a book all the plans and all the days that he had planned for you before 
you were even formed. It says that he saw your unformed body in the earth. What is that all about? Well, the magnesium and iron and calcium and all the bits that make your body, when they were just little lumps in rocks in the earth, God said, that's going to be my dear daughter, my dear son one day. And he wrote in a book all the days that he'd planned for you. He knew you inside and out before you were even born. He has a plan for you. And when we get that and we understand it, it is so exciting. The book of Acts is beautiful. We've looked at Acts chapter 1, and now this week we're looking at Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Many of us have heard and read the first four verses of Acts chapter 2. They were all together in one place. There was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the place. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They all spoke in tongues. But I want to show you what goes after that, because Peter then gets up and he gives a speech to the people who are gathered to see what's going on and the speech shows that he was expecting this and that he saw this as a fulfillment of something that God had been planning for him and for the rest of them at that day and for us today for centuries and centuries to come. So in Acts chapter 2 verse 5 it talks about there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. When the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt... Parts of Libya joining Cyrene, <laughs> visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. Isn't it interesting how it says there were men from every nation and then it lists so many different nations to make it clear that there were all these different languages there on the day and they were drawn to this amazing event and they each of them heard their own language. You say, Greg, why is that amazing? Because in Genesis um, God separates human beings when they gathered together in unity against God. He gave them many languages and they spread out. They, they moved all over the face of the earth with different cultures, different languages. And we have racism and tribalism and anger and fighting. And here we see God again gives languages, tongues, and he brings people from every language, every nation back together. And we're going to see that that is why God loves unity so much and why he is so against racism. Ephesians 2 and various other places say he's made us into one new race, the Christian race. Hallelujah. So they, they were mocking at, in verse uh, 13. It says some of them said they are full of new wine. They seem to be drunk. They were staggering or slurring or something. And Peter stands up in verse 14 with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's only 9 a.m. It was an early start to the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And now he gives context. And he quotes from an Old Testament book. And I am certain that Jesus had given Peter and the rest of the Christians 
these verses. He had said to them, wait in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out on you. And he had told them many things about the Old Testament. Um, in At the end of Luke, it says that Jesus went through all the scriptures and showed where he was in all the Old Testament scriptures and how he had to die and rise again. In Acts 1, it says he spoke about the kingdom of God for all this time. Um, and we know that he told them to wait for the promised Holy Spirit. He would have shown them where those promises were, and he would have shown them that what was going to happen in 10 days' time was planned and prophesied, and they would have known what to expect. So Peter says, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He says, this is it. You've seen it in the Old Testament. It was prophesied. We, yes, us, we are the fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. And then he quotes it in verse 17. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Imagine finding in the Old Testament or somewhere in the Bible something about you and realizing this is about me. Before I go into this, let me just tell you about the King Josiah. In uh, 2 Kings chapter 22, we read about King Josiah and chapter 23 says he was the greatest Israel Israel's greatest of Israel's kings King Josiah and in in first Kings 20 sorry second Kings 22 he said to one of his servants go find me a book or something and eventually they they found the Old Testament books of the law which had been lost and ignored and forgotten they brought them to Josiah he read them he read the Old Testament stories and there was a story written in one of the books from 340 years before, which prophesied that a king named Josiah will arise and he will do great things in Israel. And it says that when Josiah read all these Old Testament stories, and I believe, firmly believe, he read the story about himself and his name there. It says that he wept and he tore his clothes and he went on to be a great king a great king, and he did the things that were prophesied about him. And while he was doing them, later on in, in chapter 23, it says he saw a grave and he said to one of his um, helpers, whose grave is that? They said, that's the prophet who prophesied about you and what you would do and, and all these things. So he knew about it. And then at the end of chapter 23, it says he was the greatest king ever because he got a vision of something bigger that he was thought about. He was planned for. Friend, that's you and me. And Peter and the others felt it as well. So Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost. People are saying, you guys are drunk. What's going on? This is crazy. Peter says, no, it's only nine in the morning. And this is what was promised by the prophet Joel. Verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God. <laughs> it's not a human idea. This is a God thing, and it was spoken of. I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh, all flesh, not just the odd king or the odd prophet or the odd special person here or there, all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Prophesy means speaking words that come from God, speaking God's words. The sign of this outpouring will be sons and daughters, which was quite a radical idea that women could also do this, shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit 
in those days and they shall prophesy. And then he goes on to explain a little bit more about it. Um, and he says that King David prophesied about Jesus and how he would die and that he would rise again. And Jesus has risen again. We are telling you about him. And verse 32, he says, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. And he's saying that there's an Old Testament story that's being fulfilled now. There's something written and planned that's being fulfilled. It was Jesus and he has fulfilled it. It was us and the Holy Spirit has been poured on us. Verse 33, therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. You see, Jesus would have explained to him that a king gets anointed. I know I'm breaking into the story, but I need to just show you this because it's so beautiful. In 1 Samuel chapter 10, we see the story of King Saul becoming king. And it says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head, Saul's head, and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? So they would pour oil over a king and they would anoint him. And it was a sign of the Holy Spirit coming upon him. And Peter said, Jesus is the king. He's risen again. And this is evidence that the Lord God has poured oil, the Holy Spirit, over Jesus. And it's running down onto all of us. They understood the context. They knew it. It was part of a bigger plan that had been prophesied and dreamed about for many, many centuries. Interestingly, King Saul. So, so when they hear the words, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your men servants and maidservants will prophesy when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. These Jews, I believe, would have known the stories of the Old Testament about King Saul getting oil poured on his head. And verse 6 says, Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and be turned into another man. They understood when King Saul became king, the Holy Spirit came upon him. He prophesied. Words came out of his mouth. We don't know what they were, but they were words from the Lord. And he became a new man. And they would have understood. Similar to Numbers chapter 11, when Moses is tired of, of being the leader of the people of Israel and his father-in-law says, choose 70 men and God will anoint them to help you lead. And so Moses chooses 70. They come together and the Holy Spirit is put upon them and they all prophesy the same thing. Another example of this is later on in 1 Samuel 19, when Saul is chasing David to catch him and David is hiding among some prophets and in verse 23 it says so Saul went there to Naoth in Ramah then the spirit of God was upon him also and he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah and he also stripped off his clothes and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night Therefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Now, these are strange things. And you say to me, well, why would God's spirit make somebody fall down and lie down for a day and a night and take their clothes off and prophesy weird words? Why would God do that? 
You see, it's, it's a bit like all the electricity supply for a whole country. The power of God is, is like the electricity supply. There's so much power. And when it comes into one little light bulb, weird things happen. The light bulb may burst or go weird and flicker and strange things happen. The power of God, when it comes into a human being, has all sorts of effects. In Saul's case, he lay down on the floor. Sometimes um, other things happen. That's not the main point. The main point is that prophesying, speaking, is almost always the first thing that happens. Jesus said, out of the overflow of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. When you get filled with the Spirit, something comes out of your mouth. And so Peter would have known this. He's, he's been speaking about the prophecies that came before. And the people heard what Peter said. And in verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? So Peter is explaining this and the Holy Spirit's power makes people realize this is about me. This is about us. I've got to do something. This isn't just a theory, a story, a history lesson. It's not just theology or something to think about and talk about. This affects me. What shall I do? I'm cut to the heart. Jesus came. He was God. We crucified him. He rose again. He went up to heaven. God poured out his spirit upon him and he's now come on all flesh. He's available to everybody. What should we do? What should I do? And this is where it becomes personal to us. Because Peter says in verse 38, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, the thing that we've just received, you can receive. And all you need to do, seeing as you've believed what I've said, is repent and be baptized. I just want to stop for a moment here and say that there are four parts to a normal birth of a Christian in the Bible, in the book of Acts. There is believing. So that's what these people did when they heard what Peter said. They believed him. They were cut to the heart. There is believing. There is repenting. If I believe that Jesus died for my sins, I'm cut to the heart and I turn away from those sins. That's number two. Number three is I get baptized. I get put underwater. The word baptizo in Greek means to be immersed like a ship sinking under the waves. Uh, I get put underwater and Romans 6 tells me that I'm identifying with Jesus being buried. And as I come up out of the water, I'm coming alive to new life, getting raised again from the dead. And then the fourth part is I get filled with the Holy Spirit as they did. Now, those are the normal four parts of a Christian birth. As we look through the book of Acts, we see, and the Gospels, we see some people didn't do all four. Most people did all four, but some people didn't. For instance, the thief on the cross, as he was dying next to Jesus, he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He believed, he repented, he said, Lord, I'm sorry. Uh, he didn't have time to get baptized and he wasn't filled with the Spirit because the Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out yet. But he got to heaven. There are other people who have it in different order. So Cornelius and his household are receiving the word of God in Acts chapter 10. Paul is preaching to them 
And while Paul is speaking, they believe and they are filled with the Holy Spirit and they start to speak in tongues. And Paul says, oh, well, we better baptize them in water then, seeing as they've jumped the gun and gone to step four already. And we assume they repented. In Acts 16, uh, the Philippian jailer believes. He says, what, what do I need to do? Uh, Peter, uh, sorry, Paul just says to him, just believe. And later he gets baptized. So we can see the order is different. And sometimes in Acts 19, Paul said to some disciples, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you first believed? And they said, we don't even know about the Holy Spirit. He says, well, what about baptism? He's checking all four parts of the normal birth of a Christian. And he's trying to put it right. And I just want to say to you, it's a bit like a good, healthy diet. You know, I was reading yesterday about some diet advice and there's some nutrition experts who say you need all these five a day or seven a day fruit and veg and you need these minerals and these vitamins and this many calories and all these different parts of your diet and you need exercise and sleep and all these good things to be healthy. But one of the diet people was saying, no, you just need 1,200 calories a day and you'll be fine. They were saying that's the minimum you need to stay alive. <laughs> and if you'll just do that, then you'll lose a whole lot of weight. And some of the other diet experts and nutritionists were saying that's such bad advice because you may survive on the minimum number of calories, but you'll miss out on the vitamins, minerals, the healthy diet, and you won't thrive. You won't be happy. Some of the people, it's, it's a diet for women because 1,200 calories apparently is the minimum that a woman can survive on. They were saying you may be alive, but you'll, you'll lose some of your bodily functions because you're not healthy. And I want to say to you that the Bible says the normal Christian birth was four parts. Believe, then you repent, you get baptized in water, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. That was the normal Christian birth. And we see it here. Peter says to the people, who have believed, he says, do these three things, repent, be baptized, and you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. But if we're going to boil it down to its absolute minimum, what happened to the thief on the cross is the minimum that is required. Just like the 1200 calories is the minimum you need to stay alive. The minimum you need to get into heaven is to believe, and then you will repent automatically. If you can't get baptized or if you can't get filled with the Holy Spirit, you might get to heaven. But let me say this, my dear friend, you won't be a happy Christian. You won't be a healthy Christian and you may die and lose your faith because it's not the way God intended it. He wants us to have a healthy diet and a healthy Christian birth. And so we need to believe. We need to understand the gospel and believe it. Yes, we need to repent and turn away from our sins. Yes, we need to be baptized in water. If you haven't been baptized in water, in Acts chapter 8, Philip is speaking to an Ethiopian eunuch. He explains the gospel. The eunuch says, here's some water. What's stopping me getting baptized right now, right today? And Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you can get baptized. It's supposed to come after believing and repenting. If you get baptized before you believe, it's not really a baptism because baptism is a sign or a seal of what's already happened in your heart. And so if a person was baptized before they were a believer, it doesn't, it's not really a baptism. 
It's like communion. If I have communion when I believe, I eat the bread and the wine and it's Jesus' body and blood to me. But if I have bread and wine when I'm not a Christian, it's not Jesus' body and blood. And it's the same with baptism. And so you, my dear friend, have you been baptized? Please do it. Don't, don't say, I can get away without it. Don't be a 1,200 calorie Christian. Have a full healthy diet. And get filled with the Holy Spirit. You can be a Christian without being filled with the Spirit. Acts chapter 6 verse 3. They're choosing leaders. He says, make sure you choose people from among you who are filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, some Christians are not yet filled with the Spirit. They are still Christians. They're still going to heaven. They still have a, a deposit of the Spirit in them. But they're not filled to overflowing. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. They haven't been filled to overflowing yet. Why wait? Why avoid the greatness of the vitamins, minerals, the fruit, the veg, the healthy diet that God has for you and the power that you need? Right. Next verse. So verse 38, he says, um, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you. He's speaking to these people who've gathered in front of him. The promise is to you. Just like Josiah saw his name and he understood it was part of God's plan. Peter says, Jesus was promised and look, he fulfilled the plan. We are the fulfillment of Joel's promise about being filled with the Spirit and prophesying. The promise is for you, dear friends, and to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Friend, is God calling you? You say, I don't know if God's calling me. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, no one can come to me unless my Father is drawing him. If you want to come to God now, that's the Father drawing you. You are called and the promise is for you. You are named in this verse that the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's been poured out, he's available and it's for you today. Just cry out to him. Luke 11, 11, Jesus says, How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to anyone who loves him, who asks him? It's not something we earn, it's a gift. We just say, Father, please can I be filled with your Holy Spirit? And then we allow the words to start coming out of our mouths. Jesus, I pray right now that you would fill my brother or sister with your Holy Spirit. As they open their heart, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill them, baptize them, cover them. And Lord, give them now the boldness to start speaking, prophesying, speaking words that are not their native language and cause them to walk in the power to be filled with your spirit and to become a new person in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.